Okay, the power's only flickered off twice, maybe three times so far, so I think we're good, but also we might be recording this on borrowed time. It's a good thing you're on a laptop that has like 20 hours of battery. Well, the laptop's got plenty of battery. The internet devices in this house have zero. But they're not hooked up to the nut server? I'm afraid the nut server did not make the cross-country trip with me. Oh, no. Oh, no. Nor is there a UPS in here to, to hook the, the, the nut server up to. Once again, you're at your childhood home. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents are in the process of selling and moving out of their tra- my childhood home. Oh, no. That's like my worst nightmare. I've thought and thought about that awful scenario and what I might do in retaliation. What's your plan? Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging them to do this. Okay. I thought, I think this is a good thing because it's hang on. Yes. You're saying you're putting their needs in front of yours. Um, that's probably no, the right I'm, thing to do. I'm thinking about my future and what it will be like if I have to deal with this and them dealing with it now is much better than me dealing with it later. So this is fulfilling your needs as well. Yeah, this is a, this is a win-win for everyone. Um, they so they bought a place a few years ago that's like closer to some other family members in Northern Virginia, and and so they'd been maintaining two fairly like substantial like they're not it's not like palatial estates or anything, but like they're small small toy farms, and it's a lot for people that are my parents' age. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was glad that they have less stuff that they have to do, uh, on the, on the home maintenance front now as a result, and hopefully can enjoy themselves and do some other things now instead. So that's, that is good, but I'm a little sad because I don't know that I'm going to get back before the childhood home goes away. So that was, that was my question is whether the sentimentality has kicked in yet. I mean, a little bit they're sending the, I, like, I'm getting a lot of the pictures with like, do you want this for things that I haven't thought about in 40 years, 35 years in some cases. And I'm like, Hmm. No, I think I'm probably good on that one. It's a little bit easier <laughs> to get rid of it now. Like, do I need my water skis from when I was in eighth grade? Nah, don't really have a use for water skis where I live. And it, it, like, I'm not living a boat kind of life out here. So what if your daughter reaches the eighth grade and decides that she absolutely wants to take up water skiing more than anything else in the world? The interesting thing is as little space as we have in Northern California and as much as it costs to like have a storage unit here. It is much cheaper for me to just buy her a really set of nice set of new water skis than for me to store water skis for two years. I, I imagine that 80s water ski tech is probably pretty outdated at this point. Well, and and the, so the fun thing about this at this point, the skis that I learned to ski on are probably antiques because they're wooden like Cypress Garden, Dick Pope Jr. Cypress Garden classics from when my parents got their first boat in the late 60s or early 70s. So, yeah, they're not like. They're the kind of skis you might hang on a wall at this point. I'm sorry, who Pope Jr.? Dick Pope Jr. He's a famous, famous professional water skier from 1974 to like 1982. I want to call him up and get his opinion on the matter. I mean, look, I this is the kind of thing that's dangerous to look up on eBay because it could be a hole, right? Like it could be like, oh, man, these are some real classic ski. Like they also have a set. Do you know what trickster skis are? No. Okay, so like normal water skis are kind of long and skinny and have a fin on the back, right? And you put your foot in the middle and like you get get up. Sometimes there's another slip in on the back for your for slaloming, whatever. Trickster skis are about three times as wide as a normal ski and they have curves up on both ends, but they have no fins. You can spin and stuff. The only way you can steer them is with the edges. Uh, they're a really good way to break your ankle, but you can do all sorts of cool stuff like like spinning on and like doing f- spins and I don't know, spin, mostly it spins, it seems. Hey, 
spinning is a good trick I've heard. Yeah, it, like it's a, you look cool when you're doing it. Hey, what's a broken ankle or two when you look cool? Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I am Brad. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Um, hello. Yeah. So to like put a, <laughs> put a wrapper on that, it's a little like there's a little bit of nostalgia, but also I'm constantly presented with the not having a sustainable amount of space in the house in which we live. Mm-hmm. So it makes it easy to make smart decisions, I guess. I don't know. That's right. Slash and burn. That's probably the right call, except like, when it's just, not. Yeah. Like, uh, I got, I got, um, she's sending me my high school yearbooks. Okay. Yes. That's crucial. I mean, those are, those are memories. That's something you can't replace. I did go and look and they're all on the internet. It turns out. Wait, what? Like my high school just posted PDFs of all the yearbooks that they had. Like officially? Yeah. Official ones. Oh my God. I have to find out right now if. Oh, I shouldn't type this into Google. No, you should not type this into Google because what you're going to do is they're going to go. They're going to they're going to find our yearbooks now. I'm I'm not going to say where I went to school or anything. I mean, we both grew up in small towns. There's a limited number of options. Oh, no. Yeah, Hang on. it's out there. Oh, my no, God. We might oh have God. this over again. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I think I'm good. I see a list of what may be my high school class. Uh-huh. But no pictures. Okay, that's good. Also, also, a lot of these names are extremely wrong. I think this might be crowdsourced yearbook information. Oh, okay. So my my high school literally has like a hundred years of yearbooks just posted in PDF forms where somebody oh, scanned amazing. them professionally. I, it's actually fact, really nice. I, I think I, I'm on. First of all, I'm on a laptop. I, I, I I'm, I'm tiling in macOS in a way that I can't see much of this browser right now. But this, well, I look. think I, I think the I think the address for this high school is one of those like a fake auto generated by some skeezy mm. affiliate transaction something something website chain look don't worry what Brad. i'm saying not not official the discord will figure it out for you yes yes anyway uh, enough enough about yeah yes we're speaking of walks down memory lane and revisiting Ooh. my middle school and early high school years Dan Pine. and yours yes. uh we're gonna we're gonna we threatened to do this last week and people seem to react pretty positively and also you've yeah. been traveling and it's a it's a hard week to do a, a hard-hitting technology episode uh right. we're gonna talk about the star treks yeah i you know i was a little worried that there were too many star trek the next generation podcasts out there on the internet already but people seemed into it so and also you i don't know how much you want to get into it like you've had some recent star trek time well okay so I stream often from like eight o'clock until midnight. And then after that, I need something to kind of like usually get a snack and have a glass of water and like, you know, wind down for a little bit. And it turns out that a Star Trek The Next Generation episode is almost exactly the right time amount of time for me to like wind down. So I'll come out. I'll make like a I'll make a little snack. I sit down on the leather chair. I flip on a TNG episode and I'll watch one TNG episode. So I've been doing this for like the last year and a half, basically. Um, and then when I got sick over the holidays, I was in the hospital and they had Netflix, which also had access to TNG and a bunch of other shit that I didn't want to watch. So I would just watch a bunch of TNG episodes every day. Oh, that's and the best. 
It was, I'm going to go and tell you, not, it could have been worse. Could have been a yeah, lot. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> the, the being in the hospital part, the organ issue part or whatever, maybe not the best, but nice consolation prize. Yeah. Like having, having some quality time to hang out with my friends on the enterprise was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I was okay with yeah. that. I, I uh, will tell you the only, I was a pretty diligent college student about going to class. I was not a skipper. Yeah. I was, I was not, uh. I was not a truancy problem, <laughs> except for the occasional time when the Star Trek The Next Generation marathon would be on Spike TV. You and, you and I, had very, I missed a lot of class. You, we had very different college experiences. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps so. Um, uh, so, OK, so I started watching this like a year, like about a year and a half ago, year, year and a half ago. Uh, and I did. I realized as I was going through the list that I bounced around from Paramount plus when we have Paramount plus on to Netflix. Cause the Paramount plus versions seemed a little bit cleaner for whatever reason. Really? Well also, so we should address this probably up top. Apparently they're about to be the only versions as well. I don't know if it's, it's leaving Netflix, Netflix at the end of this month. Yeah. Is it, is it the end of this month? Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll triple check, but no, no, it, it Netflix literally tells you when you watch a TNG episode, it's like, yo, oh, this they, is leaving on April 1st. It's gone. Oh, yeah. After I, yes. Yeah. Last day to watch on Netflix, April 1st. Yeah. Uh, so more, more fools you for thinking you could watch Star Trek on Netflix after this month. Well, okay. So it was interesting watching this. Cause when I was a kid, when I was in like middle school and high school, this was appointment viewing on Saturday, Saturday, it came on on Saturday night at like seven or eight o'clock and the whole family gathered around the TV because of my proclivities. And we watched Star Trek, the next generation together as a group, which occasionally was uncomfortable due to the extreme horniness of that show. Man, is it really that horny? I don't dude. It's pretty oh. horny. I'll let you make your argument like the fully functional Android in the first season. Oh. bit. there were a lot you of know, uncomfortable moments. Yes. Actually, now that you mentioned it, the influence of Gene Roddenberry manifested itself in all sorts of ways. I, I convinced some some of my friends in seventh grade who who happened to be girls to watch this cool show I was really into. And it was the episode that it begins with with Troy and Crusher doing yoga and talking about how flexible they are in mm-hmm. a, an incredibly horny way. Like the whole thing, God. it's horny all the way through. There's all uh, the making, Jordy episodes being horny. Like Jordy's the yeah. horniest guy on that ship by far. Oh, yeah, he is. Uh, Jordy, Jordy, in retrospect, there are some aspects of him that are maybe a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> Look, th- there's a stuff. lot of inappropriate holodeck etiquette. Like the holodeck etiquette is clearly not developed yet at this point in the in the Trekiverse. I think. Oh yes. Well, I mean the yes the episode when I don't know if we'll get to the episode where the real Leah Brahms shows up on the Enterprise and finds out that he has been hanging out with a fir- virtual Leah Brahms on and the holodeck an awful lot, marrying her in like no, in the uh, best of both worlds in the, in the finale. Ah uh, yes, I think he is actually married to her 25 years later. <laughs> It's like there's a lot of really, boy. Look, yeah. Before we move on, you just made me realize like how many different episodes there are where some kind of intoxicating agent takes control of the ship and they all just start doing it with each non-consensual <laughs> horniness. Mm. Like it, there's a lot of weird. Anyway, we, there, yes. there are some weird choices in there. The 90s Rod, were weird. Rod, we we all know. A, well, a Roddenberry was a giant sleaze bag, but B, he also wasn't super involved with that show past the first couple seasons. But. Well, he died the at the end of the first season or something, right? Second season? Seconds? Yeah. Second or third? His, his influence loomed large, let's say. He, well, I mean, the thing is, he was he was also from that 60s era of science fiction that like Heinlein and all those guys came from that was also very fucking horny. Mm-hmm. 
I don't can't believe we're talking about horny Star Trek here to lead off let's this not, conversation. Let's not spend but yeah. Any, yeah, let's not spend more time on Gene Roddenberry. He kind of sucks. Yeah, but well, okay. So the upshot, though, from watching this again with fresh eyes as an adult, is that there's an incredible number of like really good one-off kind of genre episodes of the show. Like, like they're hard science fiction, they're detective stories, they're, um, I don't know, Court, like monster movies. Like the, yes, the, yeah. yes, there's like, there's like monster movie horror episodes. There's also like psychological horror episodes. There, there are courtroom dramas. There are like straight up like action movie romps. Like it, yeah, the, it is the, very much working. Yeah. It's like working in different spaces depending on the episode. Well, and it's the thing that I like. I didn't realize as a kid that this is what I liked about Star Trek, but it is it's like you take it's the same thing that Marvel's doing with the MCU right now. Right. They're taking familiar characters and these character arcs, you know, and then they're they're like, you know, taking one genre outer space superheroes and jamming it into another genre, you know, like psychological horror with the with the new Doctor Strange movie or the the one where Beverly gets stuck in time in the increasingly small universe. Like oh, like the, oh you oh you mean remember me, one of the best these the uh stealth best episodes of the series. Yeah. So okay. So here's here is um but but okay so the other thing about my youth is I started dating and had a car my junior year in high school and therefore uh-huh. Saturday nights at seven got occupied by other things which continued Aww. into college. Poor data. Well, I didn't see a lot of like the back half of that show. Like from oh, probably no. season five on, I feel like I saw Best of Both Worlds. I oh, sorry, I, uh, yeah, Best of Both Worlds and um uh uh you know some some of the like I'd catch an occasional episode, but it wasn't like a regular occurrence. Brad, yes. I, have, I have a terrible story to tell too. Oh boy. Let's get it over with. So in seventh grade mm-hmm. at the height of this was in 1987. It was the probably end of season one. I was like, you know, who's really cool. Oh, commander data. Oh no. Wait, is this related to Halloween by any chance? There was hair. Pro- oh, no, no, it's much worse than that. It wasn't Halloween. Oh, no, <laughs> there was hair product at the house. And I was like, you know what? I could do this. I could have Commander Data hair. So I moosed up the hair, got it all straight back, walked around at the house, tried it out on Sunday with the family. They were very pro. Oh, no. <laughs> Did, was there any pancake makeup around? No pancake. Makeup. Thank God. Okay. No makeup. I you, went to school on Monday they, morning with the they, hair back. Oh, my God. How did it go? It was not good, Brad. It was <laughs> profoundly not good. Were there any uh, swirlies or wedgies or lockers? No, involved? I made it about eight minutes. I went to my locker. The people around me were like, hey, what the fuck happened to your hair? And <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know, man. I just tried something new. And they were like, whoa. And so I went to the bathroom real quick and like got my hair super wet, thinking that that was going to solve the problem. But moose, it turns out the hair product that was available to me in the drawer in my bathroom mm. as a child. It was a bad day. Yeah, Seventh grade was a little you, traumatic. You remember they made an ep- episode about this exact thing, right? No. You remember? Oh, dude. I, well, now I need to find oh, it. Oh, it's the little kid. Yes, the little kid a that kid. wants to be like Data. It's the one. Uh, the one where the is it the one where the kid's mom dies on an away mission. I, yes, I, I think it's. I think it's about it. His parents die, and Data saved him. I think, and he basically wants to emulate. Yeah, he, he quite literally <laughs> makes his hair Data hair in that episode. They made an episode about you. God, I wonder if that was why I did that. It's it would have been the right time. I don't remember the name of that one off the top of my head, but we could find it. Well, anyway, the upshot is it's that that's actually that was that was a close that was a close third for my list here. 
Um, okay. Because that's also a real good wharf one. That's the one where everybody's dealing with this. There, there's basically like only two or three episodes where people die that they actually like it's actually done well, like the the, the character death. Because usually it's just like some poor bastard gets blasted and they're dead and everybody's like, oh, wow, this is really sad. But but sometimes they set it up and like they have a whole they have an earned character death uh, like Lower Decks is the is the classic example of, hey, something bad is happening to this person. And and like they have an entire arc and a life and an inner yeah. inner inner, you know, inner inner There's monologue, a- the whole thing. There's a build up to it. There's an arc. There is a lesson. Also, I mean, if we get to that episode again later, there's that's actually a callback to a previous episode. Wait, is that a question to a TOS episode? No, it's a different next generation one. I think we'll oh. I think we'll get there. OK, we'll okay. get there as we oh. talk about some episodes. I think I, I think what we're going to do here is not talk about all of the famous episodes. Yeah, we, we've done that before. We did. on um, this is only a test like 10 years ago. OK, uh, but our, all, our, so, our, like. Do you want to do you want to make do you want to read the list of episodes we're not going to really talk about? Yes. Yes. Okay. Our short list of episodes that don't need any more discussion are Best of Both Worlds, Measure of a Man, the the courtroom is data. Uh, does data have personhood or not episode? Which is, all I think, things. my all time favorite, just to be clear. Oh, it's a fantastic episode. Yeah. Famous for a reason, but also it's been discussed to death. All Good Things, yes. the series finale, Chain of Command, the two parter where Picard is tortured by Cardassians. How many lights are there, Brad? Uh, I, can't I can never say. remember now. Yeah, <laughs> supposed to be. Wait, how many are there actually? Yeah, I don't remember. Is it is it that there are actually five and he is forced either, to say there are four? I think he I wants remember. him to say that there's five and that there are actually four, oh, but no, I don't remember. He, he, yes, because he's defiant in the face of yes. his captors. Um, that, that 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 whole episode and also Casino Royale are my two touchstones for uncomfortable torture in modern in pop culture. Mm, sure, yeah. I could see it. Uh, yeah. Also, also, we're sitting here discussing episodes we said we were going to discuss. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Dark- okay. Darmok, the the everyone speaks in metaphors. Yeah, uh, the inner light, which is like probably the actual best episode of the series. I think that's probably true. Um, I wrote down yesterday's Enterprise question mark because I think yesterday's Enterprise is a pretty common touchstone for why Next Generation is good. I look, I like yesterday's Enterprise. I'm the only person in the world that thinks the Tasha Yar episodes are almost all bad. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, okay. I don't have anything against Tasha Yar in particular, but I don't think she was necessarily like universally beloved. I, I just feel like I feel like especially in the back have, rewatching. So the continuity episodes are my least favorite of the episodes. It turns out in the in the rewatch as an adult. And I felt like in the later seasons, they're like, hey, we need a character here. Let's just fill this plot hole with the uh, time traveling Tasha Yar and it'll work itself right. out. And right. Without, I totally forgot yes, that. Yeah, without yes. yesterday's enterprise, none of that happens. So I, f- I forgot. I forgot that was after she would have left the show. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, she so came they're back. Like, they're like, "Well, Denise Crosby's solo or her her movie career is not maybe working out the way that she hoped." I'm sure she would do a guest spot. Yeah. Uh, um, and then, and, and wow, Lower Decks you, is the other one on this list. You, I, you I had originally Lower Decks on my list, but when we made our okay. new criteria, I was like, "Yeah, okay." Lower Decks is the one that is the focuses. It's like the only episode of the entire series that focuses on like junior officers and kind of the. The yeah. rank and file of the Enterprise rather than the bridge crew, the the big shots. Well, and it's, it's fantastic told, for that. Yeah, it's told through their perspective and it tells like four kind of interlocked. It's 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 really well done. It, right. It's but it off is, an animated series. It's really good, right. too. Yes. Yes. And it ends in tragedy. So it's like a real heartbreaker, yeah. a real tearjerker kind of at the end. But what the the episode that it calls back to is one of the ones I was going to bring up later. So we'll get into that stuff. OK, um, cool. I guess I don't I. 
I don't have a lot to add to our Star Trek origins because mine mine is almost exactly like yours, except time shifted however many years younger I am than you. Yeah, uh, because it would, Star Trek was also on here at 7 p.m. Saturday nights. Probably on the same. Well, it was probably on not, our, actually. It was on our local Fox affiliate at 7 p.m. Oh, we got it on ABC, on, I think. Unlike you, I could not convince the rest of my family to watch it with me. But <laughs> I was there on TV. So, yeah, we all took turns. I, I, I did I Saturday night. I gave up Tuesday or something. So we had my sister made us watch Alf every week, which was fine. I liked Alf. Uh, I was young enough to watch it through to its conclusion. And I still distinctly remember the day that all good things came on. And I, there was nothing that was going to stop me from being in front of that television. Well, I was going to say, like I did. By the time all good things came on, I was probably a sophomore in college and we actually had like there were there were some like minded individuals that I'd become friends with. And we sat down and we all watched all good things together. So uh, both that episodes. Like a, a fun college thing to do anyway. So I had the same experience as you, except with Deep Space Nine, where. Uh, I was finishing high school as Deep Space Nine premiered, and then so most of that show was on while I was in college mm-hmm. and was not watching a lot of television. And no, that's why I've never seen Deep Space Nine to this day. Uh, I would watch. I, I, I there are a lot of people I know who I trust who really like DS Nine, and oh, I totally. Would, I should I mean, go back and watch it at some point. I totally understand why it's revered. I keep, I keep waiting. I kept hoping they would give it the Next Generation HD treatment because they did such a loving restoration of Next Generation in HD. But then that thing made absolutely no money, so I don't think the Deep Space Nine equivalent will ever happen. But no, probably not. But there are all kinds of like AI efforts ongoing to, in fact, I think they might be getting close to done. Oh, to upscale to, uh, the DVD upscale? releases to, to 1080p. So, ooh, that sounds good. I fully intend uh, okay. to watch all of Deep Space Nine and at some point in, in my life. So do you want to do you want to like alternate on these? We each have yeah. like six or seven. One, two, three, four. Yeah, five, we five, just kind of jotted down some of our favorite episodes that are not the big episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, since you've got uh, you've got most of a rewatch pretty fresh in mind, we um, I mean, I've seen every episode in the series like a dozen times. It was uh, I guess the part I left out was kind of like you. It was on syndication uh, later in, in high school for me uh, at oh, 10 wow. p.m. every you- night. Yeah. And uh, the, the dinky, dinky little 13 inch Emerson that I had in my bedroom that I won for uh, <laughs> from some raffle in, in junior high. I watched Star Trek every night before bed for oh. years on end it turns so, out it's a it's a really pleasant way to like wind down your day like like everybody there's some stuff happens there's something exciting often and then uh there's a moral and it all wraps up nicely in the end yeah and there's i don't i don't use this term negatively but there's a, like a slightly sedate quality to it like the tone of the show is always just like fairly low-key you know it's never too grueling in any way i guess i would say yeah. like it's a nice way to to, to unwind it's unusual that there's an intense episode, which is yeah. funny because Netflix has the the identifiers fear and sex on every single episode of Star Trek the Next Generation of every of, of the Next Generation. Yeah, they, it, everyone is like it gives the rating, and it's like fear and sex are the identifiers. Okay, I just wanted you to repeat that. I'm going to write this in this document. We have a title for this episode <laughs> now. Uh, <laughs> all right, what do you got? Okay, so I'm going to start. I'm going to start at the top of my list with Conundrum. Which is the amnesia episode? Hang on, let me guess because we we've written we have have ad libbed our own descriptions of these episodes in here. So I'm just going to read <laughs> what you wrote and then try to pick it out of my memory banks. Conundrum, yeah. the amnesia episode. Is that the one where Riker is doing a play? Uh, and he and he is and he is stuck in multiple layers of unreality. No, that one's good too, though. 
Oh, that's, that's a different one. That's a different one. Oh, this is the one where the oh, wait, wait, are, wait, wait, okay. don't tell me. I got. Hang on. Is it the one where they all wake up? Like everybody is blacked out at the same time on the Enterprise, and they all wake up and like thirty minutes are missing from the chronometer on the ship, and they have it, to piece together why there is nope. missing time. Why? Why everybody nope. blacked out and why there's missing time? No. Wow. Not that how many, one. How many amnesia episodes are there? Okay. All right. You got me. What do you got? Okay. So it's the one, it's the one, um, it's the one where they have the Bajoran, what's her name? Uh, Roe. Ensign Roe. Ensign Roe. And they wake up on the Enterprise and nobody knows, remembers who they are or what their job is. Oh, Yes, that one's fantastic. And and like you're watching the episode, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? And then you realize that there's this other guy standing around in the background who you've never seen before. Right. Like a fake crew member. Like a and fake nobody, crew member who sets himself just, up to be the captain. Right. And like his whole his whole like I will I mean, are we going to spoil these? It's a 20 year old show at this point. Yeah, it's a, or yes, it's a very okay. old show at this point. So there's going to be spoilers. People. I have bad news for you also. What? It is much more than a 20 year old show. <laughs> Okay, it's a forty-year-old show. We are pushing. We are pushing show. a forty-year-old show from the premiere. Oh wow! So this is the same. This is actually. It's been longer bet- between now yes. and TNG than it was between TNG and TOS at this point. Wow. Yes. Okay. It, this is one of those. Anyway, uh, um, yeah, that's a great one. They all nobody knows who anybody is, so they're all like trying to infer what everybody's role on the ship was based on just like what they look like and, and what their personality is. Exactly, and, but but then it all. The beautiful thing is. They're like, all we can do is trust what our inner morality tells us, because that's all they have left about who they were. And it works out nicely. And they they solve the problem. They keep the guy from wiping out the other civilization that he wants to wipe out because he, he basically wants to weaponize the Enterprise to, to sol- solve a vendetta or something like it's like that part doesn't it's, matter. It's it's an ancient feud between two civilizations who have. So this is I wanted to bring this up. This is one of my favorite examples of the ridiculous suspension of disbelief that this show requires a lot of the time. So it's two ancient, it's two civilizations with like an ancient feud, an yeah. ongoing like centuries old war. They have very low technology or they have a very limited technology. Like the enterprise alone, the armament of the enterprise alone could wipe out the entire civilization that this guy's civilization is against. Yeah. Except for the fact that they apparently have such high technology that they can, <laughs> they can brainwash the entire crew of a starship. Like well, there, there's, this, there's a lot one, of like, there's a lot of like, Hey, we're, we're really bad at everything, but we're awesome at this one thing. Right. Like we're, we're incredibly bad at making space weapons, but we're apparently very good at making brainwashing technology. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, anyway, anyway, that I, is a great I one. like that one just cause it's the, the, it gives a like there's, it's such a role reversal and there's an opportunity for some really good performances. Picard ends up not in charge, obviously. Um, the, the people who are more brash and impulsive often end up in charge and uh, it's it's just it's just a fun. It takes these characters that you know and love and inverts their their traditional roles in a way that's really satisfying and and yeah. and uh, and quite good. Yeah, I, I wish I could remember the name of the one that I brought up where they all black out and try to figure out why time is missing from the clock because that one's fantastic too. I won't spoil it. Um, there, there's but. a couple. There's a couple that are in that similar vein. Like yeah. usually there's like a, there's usually some sort of deus ex machina, like where data is not affected by whatever virus that, is causing the problem or whatever. That's a, that's exactly that episode. Data knows exactly what happened, but he won't tell them. And that's, there's some like fantastic character work where they get increasingly angry at data because he knows what happened and he won't tell them. 
Well, so I was going to say the best, the, the, my favorite thing watching these all in kind of short order is watching the Brett Spiner performance over the seven seasons go from like, Hey, I'm playing a robot to, Hey, I'm playing a man who's playing a robot to, Hey, I'm playing a person like a, a person who's developed through these relationships with humans over the years. Oh man, we could it's, probably do it's, a whole episode about how the personalities evolve from the beginning through the first couple seasons yeah. before they really find the characters. But like Picard is such a huge asshole for the first like 20 episodes of the show or something. I thought that was just because he had an English accent. Uh, I, he was, he was a real crotchety. Like there was not a, there was no softer side to Jean-Luc Picard for the first, most of the first season. He was pretty by the book. That's yeah. true. Um, yes. You want to have one? Yeah. Say a thing. Do it. These are in no particular order, but I did happen to write "Remember Me" as as my first one. This is, is a very good episode. It's it's stealth. One of the best episodes, I think. It doesn't get a lot of credit. I don't know if it's because it's a Crusher episode. One of the very few. There's um, only like three Crusher episodes that I can think yes, of, really. Yes, and one of them involves her having sex with a Scottish ghost. Look, she's like Sub Rosa. <laughs> one of the most deplored episodes of the entire series. Uh, yeah, but this one is fantastic. She gets stuck in some kind of physics experiment that results in her inhabiting a bubble universe that is rapidly collapsing. Wesley does it to her. Yes, he is. He is doing some kind of like warp bubble experiment and she gets caught in there. Man's um, own hubris. Yes, but I mean, the great thing about that episode, if you haven't seen it, is that the internal logic of the universe that she lives in reflects the fact that it's shrinking. So as it gets smaller and smaller. Like the size of the observable universe shrinks to a space of like, you know, 30 square or 30 cubic kilometers or whatever the measurement is. And everybody else who's on the ship and the ship's computer all think that's completely normal. Like she's the only one. So it's like a real good. Am I losing my mind kind of psychological study? Because it is very much like. You know, the the compliment, the crew compliment of of the ship shrinks to like 12 people. And Picard acts like that's totally normal. Like he doesn't see anything wrong with that at all. And she's just like going completely batshit trying well, to figure out what's going on. Yeah. It's it's, there's a couple of episodes that are like that. There's one with Riker, the one that you mentioned with the play where he's like playing a character in a mental institution and keeps warping back and forth between that and his job on the enterprise and is going yeah. slowly mad. But I, I think, I think remember me is the best of those, right? I mean, it's because it's, it's creepy. It, it's really creepy. Eventually the ship starts getting dark. They like, they light the sets. So they're darker because mm-hmm. I guess there's no people around. I don't know. It didn't like, there's no, <laughs> there's no reason, but, but it's, it's, um, and like, there's, there's a, there's a couple of other episodes that are like this where like the sh- one, it's one person who has to figure out the whole thing. Like the one where Picard has to, has to fight the terrorists who are trying to steal the enterprise when they're doing the, the sweep of the ship and that's going to kill whoever's in the, in the ship at any given time. Oh, and Starship Mine. Like, Starship Mine. That's, that's it. That one's, that one is super famous. Like that. I, I, I'm stealing this from a forum conversation I was reading recently, but they, to Jean-Luc McLean, basically like it's diehard. Yeah. It's diehard yeah. on the enterprise. Yeah. Um, but, but also Gates McFadden, McFadden does a really good performance as like, she's trying to hold it together at one point. I like I, the thing I remember from this is when she's like, Hey, Computer, give me the give me the the life sign readout on John Luke Picard when it's only her and him left. Right. She basically says, like, I want I want a running account of Jean Luc Picard's life signs, no matter where he is. I want constant updates on like his heartbeat and blah blah blah. And then yes, yeah. there's that moment where the computer just stops reading out his his life signs and it's like so chilling. 
And it's yeah, it's as creepy as any as any like X Files or, or it's very Twilight it, Zone. It is very like like the best of these for me were the ones that feel like a Twilight Zone. They could have been a Twilight yeah. Zone episode, right? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, uh, Tapestry is mm-hmm. one of my one of my faves. It's, it's the one <laughs> I wrote. It's the one where Q makes Picard a wuss. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, one way to look at it. But it's it's the one it's the one where it's the one for me where Q becomes a character that's not just a like the this is the one this is the one that's about the Q and Picard relationship for the first time rather than Q being an antagonist necessarily. Yeah, sure. Because it, it's it's kind of it's a wonderful life. Like I would, uh, yeah, Picard absolutely. is is dying on a on a table because of a poor choice he made 40, 50 years ago when he was a youth. And um uh Picard he was like hey if you could change this decision would you and he's like absolutely yeah I would the decision is he got in a bar fight with some aliens who stabbed him and it caused him to get an artificial heart that was blah 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 doesn't matter yeah. but the upshot is he goes back and relives his past choices you know he tells somebody he cared about that he that he loved them he doesn't get in the fight and it completely changes he comes back to the future enterprise as like a you know a lower decks C tier function stooge and he's like, oh, wow. Yeah, OK, maybe I should. Maybe the decisions I made were good in retrospect. Maybe they made right. me the person I am today. Yeah. Without that brush with death, he, he had no ambition, no respect for for anything. And he just sort of drifted through life and became, yes, a, a middle level science officer with you know nothing much to show for himself. The, I'm, deve- I'm noticing a theme in my yes. choices, I guess. Yes, I guess so. <laughs> You're right, though. Like you're right about like the the Q the Q situation. Like there is almost a backwards affection for Picard from Q in that episode. Well, this like, is this is and that that was the thing I hadn't noticed in I, I didn't I mean I didn't know about because I didn't watch the last three seasons before two and a half seasons. Um, but yeah, like Q as the there's also a lot of like civilizations out being elevated, like lifting to the ethereal plane or whatever, mm-hmm. and um. Yeah, it's it, like like that. That is one of the themes I think across the whole, the whole uh, season, the whole the whole run. Yeah. Um, my next episode, I wrote the Offspring. This is by no means a comprehensive list. I literally these were just from memory. Like I was just like, oh, what are some lesser known episodes I want to talk about? There are probably a ton that I'm missing here. It's the one is, where is this Data the Data's cre- daughter one. Yes, Data creates a child for himself. Yeah, that's this like was, one of the. One of the main conceits of the show is that data was invented by like a mad scientist genius who then disappeared and like nobody else knows how to construct it. Like it's impossible to construct a positronic brain like data has. They can't mass produce them. So he's like one of a kind, but he attempts to make a child in the mold of his own kind of cybernetic brain. him. Yeah. Kind of, but it doesn't go well. Like well, it's a very, it's a very touching episode to me. Like he allows, he allows the child to choose its own gender and appearance and and name does she get to pick her name or does he no he i think he names i think her, he names her i can't remember but he allows her to choose like what she looks like and her gender and stuff like that but like it's pretty touching and right up right up until the end when like you know it becomes clear that he did not implement the positronic matrix in the right way uh and she doesn't make it and i have seen a surprising number of people say that they think this episode is cheesy Oh, wow. and I, I don't get that at all. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, how hollow inside are you? Like that episode ends with his child dying in his arms and saying, thank you for my life. To me, and the saddest part of the whole thing, though, is that he's like, I don't have feelings, so I can't like he's right. not actively sad. 
Yeah, right. Like, like he, he, he seems remorseful, says, maybe? He, yes, or? yes. Like that, that's, that's another one of those interesting uh, examples of they couldn't figure out where the line was on Data's level of emotion. Or they, they were not consistent with it from episode to episode, especially early on of d- deciding exactly how much he could feel. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Like he he intellectually feels remorse that she died, but he straight up says that he basically can't feel anything from it. You know, like he misses her presence from a right. from a from a like I like yeah, it's it's a weird line. He talk he talks about it later in the se- in the series too because at some point he's having a conversation with somebody else about uh, when he when he meets his mom actually when yes. he meets oh when that's such a great one I didn't write that one down mom uh, ex wife yeah. yeah he. He he's talking, he's telling her, he's telling her about that and she's really sad. Okay. I th- and then <laughs> this, he's like, well, this, I didn't actually feel anything, but it, I do miss her. I do miss the conversation, you know, being able to talk to her and have a conversation and all that. I think this, this was the moment that I just decided that we have conceived the impossible episode because the more we talk about this, the more I'm just going to try to add more episodes and this will never <laughs> end. Like the one, the one with Data's mom, all of the Moriarty episodes. Like I, I just, there, mm, I, there are so many that I just want to sit here. Can, can I just, so I don't, the, the second Moriarty episode was like a huge disappointment for me because. Is that the one where he escapes the holodeck? Yeah, that's the one where he escapes the holodeck. But oh, you don't like that one? Okay. Oh man, that's one of Brad, my favorites. Brad, there, the holodeck breaks. The only time we ever see the holodeck is when it's breaking. Yeah. Or, or sure. Worf is killing some fake guys. Uh huh. Yeah. Some rubber mask. I don't think aliens. the holodex is safe technology, Brad. <laughs> no, it's not. No, I think they should maybe think about, uh, you know, maybe turn that thing off. Put a racquetball court in there. If you had access to a holodeck. Yeah. Knowing what you know about the holodeck, would you really be able to resist using it? Like, come on. I would play God. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. They, they know. Look, they know damn well how effed up the holodeck is, but the holodeck is so rad. Who would be able to resist? The the Moriarty thing is kind of a horror story if you think about it from Moriarty's perspective because even though he's the bad guy, he's the he's the he's the villain he's the you know he's the the, the nemesis for Data like he's basically living in stasis for hundreds of years at a time his perception mm-hmm. it seems awful yeah no 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 body just formless consciousness no um, okay here's one I had never heard of before that hasn't I hadn't seen any of the best lists uh, Genesis. Man, I was mind blown that you wrote Genesis down on here. Okay, so that's, I didn't know what to expect. Season seven, it's, it's, right? se- it's a late late season in a time when the episodes were real up and down. Uh-huh. But but uh, it's the one where they get infected with a virus that causes everybody to like reverse mutate back to yes. some like like Worf gets a chitinous exoskeleton and becomes a horrible killing machine. Like yeah, everybody turns into a spider. Yes, everybody starts reverting into like more primitive life forms from whatever biology was on their home planet. Yeah, I think I think Picard becomes a Neanderthal because he's French. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> sure, um, I think somebody turns into a lemur. I'm not sure. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of like there's stupid. a lot of real good prosthetic makeup in business, and also Gates McFadden directed that one, which I, I, did, that not I did not know. That's cool. Yeah, uh, um, but it, it's got it's got that same kind of like. Hey, something's gone there. Well, th- th- I think that's also the one that has the good bit about Picard not wanting to go do some like function. Like the, one of the recurring themes that I love about Picard is he doesn't like doing official shit. Like he doesn't like going to admirals meetings and dinners and stuff like that. 
He just, he just wants to space fare. He does not want a glad hand. He's an explorer, man. He's got to yeah. be out oh, there, right? That's right. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the, uh, that one, that one's a banger and the makeup, like the monster makeup and stuff that they did, clearly they had to like scrimp and save on some later episode in that season. Or maybe at that point, Paramount was just like, Hey man, last season, here's all the money we have left. <laughs> Let her rip. Just go for uh, it. Cause it was really well done. It was really awesome. Practical makeup on a ton of different, like a bazillion characters. So I think where you wrote in this doc as the description here, Gates McFadden directed a monster movie episode. Like that description, I think makes me come around on that episode a little bit. Cause I always thought of it as being pretty cheesy, but I, I, I get it when you put it that way. Well, like, look, uh, it's an episode that 14 year old me would have been pissed off about because it didn't have there were no Borg or Klingons or Romulans or Ferengi or uh, Packleds or like any like it, it It was not it was an X-Files episode that was a Star Trek episode. Right. Mm-hmm. Very much but so. coming into it now. It's I'm, I super loved it. I was really thrilled. Yeah. Uh, reunion is one that I wrote. Is that actually the Scotty episode? I didn't even look that up. I. At some point, I realized I'm not quite the kind of person who can recite every episode's title in order, but that's probably I, best. At some point, I realized that I am moving in that direction of, of being able to just identify more <laughs> and more episodes by name, which I, you tell me <laughs> if that's a good thing or not. Let me let me triple check that Re- reunions is the cool one because it's the first time we see like uh, a mega oh. structure in space in Star Trek. I think I know I screwed up. Wow. I'm glad I fact checked that reunion is a Klingon episode. Oh, is that the one that's the one where he goes and meets the uh, the his brother? Uh, uh, does. I, I saw that Kalar, his, his the mother of Alexander is involved. I just skimmed real fast. I can't. Wow. I could have sworn reunion was the Scotty episode. I don't remember which. Not hard to find. Hang on. No, it's fine. I have the power, I have the power of the Internet at my fingertips. Relics. I knew that. Relics. Relics. That makes sense. Relics, not reunion. Uh that episode is so cool for so many reasons. Like from a just space science nerd perspective, there is, I don't even know where to start. Like conceptually, there's the cool part where Scotty crash landed and the rest of his crew died. And the only way he was able to keep himself alive for 75 years was of course it's Scotty. He rigged up some insane pattern buffer loop in the transporter and suspended himself in the transporter for 75 years until and he was found. Was there a friend? There's a there was a second person who didn't make it. Oh right, yes, that's right, yes, and he's very sad about that. There's he also a Dyson sphere. Like there's also just straight up like here is a classical science fiction concept rendered on screen in a really nice way. Like that's very cool. Dyson sphere it's is bu- a gigantic. It's a gigantic artificial shell built around a star. If you don't, if people don't know, yeah, harness all the power is, of the star. You know, yes. use it for technology. Yada yada. Yes. Um, so there's all that, but then there's also there's the emotional component of that episode is amazing of like it's an exploration of a guy who was way past his prime and old and feeling useless and you know and also everything he knows is gone like everyone he knows is gone like that scene that scene where they that scene where they recreate the original enterprise bridge on the holodeck see here's a perfect example of the holodeck proving its worth they recreate this one was good yes they recreate the original enterprise bridge on the holodeck and it's like an amazingly touching scene with him and Jordy there uh also, did, fun fact, have they just you, made did, a movie or something. They just made it. Is that when like Star Trek six came out and that's why they had original enterprise bridge around? No, I was literally about to say fun fact. If I'm not mistaken, that bridge they used was a fan's recreation of that bridge. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's wow. right. Uh, 
I could try the, to fact the, check the, that. There's a couple of places when I was reading, when I was doing some reading for this episode, there's a couple of places. I think the episode one, the season one finale started out as a fan script because it was coming into the writer's strike and they needed a quick script to, to record yeah, before they, they kind like of, they, used, they, they kind yeah. of semi took spec scripts. If, if I'm not mistaken early on, like that's how some of the writers for the show, the permanent writers got on board was straight up just submitting their own pet scripts. Yeah, that's bonkers. Probably the last um, time that could have happened. Yeah. Uh, real quick. So the I guess that Enterprise bridge set was constructed for the episode, but some of the elements like the captain's chair were provided by a fan who had built his own replicas. That's amazing. Just just wild stuff. But that that's well, a great it, touching episode. It, and it's also like watching it on the remastered version. The colors are so bright and de- delightful compared to like a the way you remember the the TOS stuff, but B how everything on the on the D era enterprise looks. It was really cool. It's very 80s. Can I can I just um, say really quick, do you ever does there anything ever happen to you where you feel like if there is a divine power out there that it decided at one point that it was going to look out for you briefly? Because that's how I feel about the fact that that TNG HD remaster got done. <laughs> specifically <laughs> specifically in retrospect, knowing that it was a gigantic financial failure. Like it it did not make money. And no which basically ensures this will never happen again with another Star Trek series, but they just happened to do it with the one that I cared about the most. I don't know. I feel like the, I feel like the um, economics of streaming might actually change that. that I guess that's possible. Never, like, never say Paramount, never. Yeah. Paramount plus like, like think about the likelihood of extracting uh, like, so those TNG remasters, the problem with them was they were too damn expensive. Yeah. Like if they had been, if they had priced them more reasonably, I think more people would have bought them. But they, they, um, yes, they were at the time when that they came out, they were extreme. God, what were they like? Sixty, like seventy dollars or sixty season? bucks a season or something? or something. Like, granted, it's a lot of runtime, but that's a it, lot of money it, it, for seven it, seasons. It, yeah, that, that's that, that's that, I, that was the, anyway. I never, um, I never bought them. I've always just watched them on Netflix over and over. But uh, you can get the full run of the HD remake kind of redo in one box set for like a hundred and something dollars. Now I, I keep meaning to pick one up. That seems like it would be worth that. That seems like it would be worth, I, I would pay a hundred bucks for that happily. Yeah. Cause cause all the seasons have making ofs and, and commentaries on the episodes and stuff like a lot of nice special features that I would like to have. Oh, I like, didn't know that. Oh yeah. Does the like com- I, do they have like Ronald Moore doing commentaries and stuff like that. I probably, I would assume like he, he definitely wrote some of the best episodes of that, of that series, but also just to people don't know about the, the, the production process on that HD remake is. Yeah amazing i would watch a whole documentary about that like they had to i think there i feel like there was one i know there are some behind the scenes on those box sets that i have not seen but like they had to they had to go into the warehouse and find the original film elements that they shot the show on and recomposite and re-edit everything well yeah they recreated the the vfx and digitally so because because i think the problem was that the show was shot on film but the vfx were all done on on video all the all the so, final the VFX and compositing and final editing were all done on video. Yeah, yeah the show the uh, the original film elements are thirty five millimeter, but yeah, so they had to redo the entire show from scratch. It's it's amazing. Um, uh, let's see, should we do cause and effect next? Yeah, that's the time loop. Uh, I think that's the that's the one that the cold open is basically. Yeah, Riker yelling red alert. Some bad stuff happening in the ship blowing up. Oh yeah, that's a great one. And then you see, um. The ship keeps blowing up because they're stuck in a Mobius loop. Yes. Uh, they're stuck in a Mobius it's- loop and they, the same thing keeps playing out over and over. They keep trying to figure out why the ship is exploding 
uh, and they but all they get shoot deja vu. It, right. But they never reuse the same footage of the disaster and the ship exploding. You always see it from like a different angle and a different perspective. Every time it happens, it's, it's really well done. It's a Jonathan Frakes directed one also. Yeah. And that's an, that's another fun one. Uh, another fun, like, Oh, data has got some special advantage here. Something, <laughs> something about data's internal positronic chronometer happens to maintain some record of what happened in each loop or something. It's, it's very space about, magic. I think about all of the starships in the Federation that don't have data on board them and how many they, how many of them just I, must blow up unexpectedly out of nowhere. <laughs> Everybody should have a data. I mean, look, there's an episode about that that we said yes, we weren't going to uh, talk about. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, that's a great one. That's just a fun science gimmick one uh, for me. Yeah, um, yeah, for me, for me, it's a, again, it's another one of those like, hey, here's the hard sci-fi episode of the week, kind yeah, of totally, and totally, and like just to be clear, like the, I don't know, watching these, it's kind of like the worst slash best part of Star Trek is when they're saying a bunch of absolute nonsense, mm-hmm. and like they're dead, like, like, like respect to the performers because, like, th- like clearly they took the time to learn the inner language of star Trek. And like, like there's no can like they're not playing for camp. They're playing it a hundred percent straight. Like, yeah. the, but like talking about Jeffrey's tubes and fucking flux capacitors or whatever is the most serious nonsense in the world. Isolinear uh, optical chips. Yeah. Yeah. No. It, yes. but, but because they play it straight, it works. Yes. The, the writers and the actors both do a fantastic job of selling all the techno babble for sure. Yeah. Um, I wrote down the survivors, which is not necessarily like a top 10 for me or anything, but it's the one in, I think season three where they come upon a Federation colony that has been like scoured clean, except for one, like very perfect, tidy plot of land. It's got like, Oh, the square. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally they see it from orbit. Like there's one square of nice, like green front yard and a nice little house and a couple, an elderly couple living there and everything around them is devastation and they have to, they have to unpack what happened and the elderly couple won't say and spoiler. It's a mystery. I guess we're, it is kind of a mystery one and spoiler. I guess we're just spoiling stuff. Um, the husband is a supreme being. He is a, like a God, essentially somebody who's and, ascended, right? Uh, I don't, they, they don't get into his origin. Like these, they don't even say, Oh, he's a Q. Like that. that's one of the great things about it is they don't bother to explain it. Cause who cares? Like it's just assumed that he is an omnipotent being, but he had fallen in love with a human woman and married her and lived as a human in this colony and a marauding evil alien species came and attacked their colony. His wife was killed in this attack. And in a moment of anger, like it's a really well done performance. I don't know who the actor is, but he delivers this scene, this line incredibly well, like in a moment of like blind anger because he can do whatever he wants with the thought. He eradicates the entirety of this alien species in, in one moment. Like he literally he seems- wipes an entire alien species from existence in, in like blind rage. And like the whole rest of the episode is this like morality play about like, what do you do here? <laughs> like he is committed. He has committed a, a crime on an unimaginable scale. Like, but also he is on, um, there's nothing you can do to him. You know, he's yeah. very remorseful about the whole thing. Like it's, it's just like, it's, it's a situation with no solution, right? It's, it's just, it's, it's like just a un- kid with an anthill. Or kind of like yes. a kid who pours like, water in an anthill or something like like right. I it's funny this one didn't stick with me a whole lot, but that guy is maybe the scariest villain in all of this series. I don't know if I call him a villain. I mean, obviously, what he did was incredibly monstrous, but he realizes it 
Like, uh, also, you know, it just occurred to me that I guess they don't unpack the idea that couldn't he just restore them all to existence if he's basically a god? I don't know. Or couldn't he have stopped the attack in the first place? Was he taking a nap? I I, I think I want to say they address that, that maybe he had like committed to living as an actual human and not using his powers. Oh, yeah. The, the man oh, of actually, steel. You know what? So actually, I think that's what makes the, the moral aspect of this episode work is that he was like a staunch pacifist. Like he's a... He's like, he's a God, but he's like, he, like they ask him, like, why didn't, like, why didn't you just stop the attack? And he was like, I, I could not bring myself to kill. Like, I will not kill <laughs> except in that moment of weakness, he killed all of them. It's like, it's a really uncomfortable idea. Did, did he kill them or did he make them never exist? Or I think he just like literally just, it was kind of like, like snap his fingers and they're just, they no longer exist kind of thing. Thanos sitch. Kind of. Yes. But like, but he's like supremely remorseful about it. So it's like a. You know, and there is no conclusion. There's like nothing they can do at the end of the episode other than say like, well, this sucks. I, it's a it's it's a hard thing to describe because like you're just left with this uneasy feeling, basically. Well, I mean, it's funny because there are a handful of those like everything doesn't wrap up nicely episodes that are. I mean, there's a bunch of cliffhangers and nonsense, you know, TV nonsense. Yeah. But but yeah, like. It, it is it is an ambiguous it, it, it does wrap up ambiguously. I think I fell asleep during this one. I maybe didn't see I the end, it. Brad. It is, it is very much a morality play of the week episode, for sure. And it's, yeah. it's kind of slow because it is sort of an investigation. I, I like the investigation ones. Like there's, there's, um, there's a handful of like, hey, there's a station. The, the, the one where um, this isn't on the list. I don't remember what the name is. But the one where there's like an outpost and there's two people on it. And then there's a murder and you have to figure out who they have to figure out who the mur- who did the murder. Yeah, and it's use, very good. Is that the one where they use the holodeck to recreate the crime scene? I think so. And it's also the one with the little robots that are just like boxes, like an octagonal box with feet. That sounds like the right. floating robots that become sentient, I think. Yeah. Anyway, there are um, a lot of great ones that we will not get to here. There are. Uh, let's see. I, I was surprised by a season one, a rare season one banger conspiracy. Oh, conspiracy is, is a classic. Like, which is like, it's like such a, they, it sets up this amazing thread. Hey, there's an alien species. They're like soul suckers. They're taking over Starfleet personnel, yada, yada, yada. And then it all wraps up nicely at the end of the hour and there's no problems. Well, it does, except they imply that it very much doesn't like it, that. Actually, that, that episode ends on a really chilling shot of space, basically yeah. saying like, it's like, it's basically this, this, this parasitic bug organism that crawls up inside people's ears and takes over their brain stems or whatever. And very wrath of Khan and, and this conspiracy, the, this mind control has gone to the highest levels of Starfleet and they think that they have dealt with it on the ground, but they also at the end realize that these bugs have been sending a signal into space and it's very much like, well, did the rest of them hear the signal? Are they coming? And they never get back to it. Turns out, no, they are not coming. They dropped the thread, but, uh, but it could have been an interesting, it's it's very creepy. Also, I, I haven't confirmed this. I was reading that this was potentially going to be like a plot thread set up for later in the series that they were playing around with the idea of like an all powerful threat that would pop back up over and over. And that this could have become the Borg before they, before Uh. they knew what the Borg were going to be before they had decided on space techno zombies, they were like, Maybe our recurring threat will be these parasitic space bugs instead, but they didn't go with that. The Borg are much scarier than the space bugs. I think, I think. definitely more iconic. I think the, the Borg are yeah. incredibly iconic. The gore, the level of gore in this episode, though, is kind of amazing because they like literally phaser a guy until he explodes into 
a shower of meat chunks. Like, like they should, there's a lingering shot on like the dude's remnants of his torso yeah. in the captain's chair. Uh-huh. It's messed up. Yes. There's a giant, ugly prosthetic, like rubber bug coming out of what's left of his torso. It's like shockingly gory. Yeah. Uh, it was, it's another monster of the week though. Yeah. It could have been a lot more though. I think it, I think it I, is more than that. I think it, I think the, the, the sense of dread, the creeping dread of it, it runs deeper than a monster of the week and they could have made it a recurring thing, but they didn't. Well, it's also the first time, and I don't like knowing what I know about where Star Trek went after this. I don't know how I feel about it now, but it's also the first time that there's a hint that maybe Starfleet Command is not entirely on the like. It's the first time there's conflict between the Enterprise and Starfleet Command. Yes, and then that becomes just sort of like the the uh, status quo later in the episode. Like anytime an admiral from Starfleet pops up, you know they're going to be an asshole or incompetent or both. Yeah. And, and it's like that, that's, that's a vibe that they take forward into even like the, the JJ verse movies in a way that kind of bums me out. And, yeah. And I, I think it, it. like all the sector 23 or six, 16 or whatever, I can't remember which one it is, but the, all, all the bits about like the underlying secret, secret society in Starfleet that like does what has to be taken. They, they do whatever it takes. Oh yeah. That's, I think that's very much a deep space nine thing as well. Yeah, seems, um, I think that's where where it kind of picked up. I'll whip through a couple more here before we wrap up. I have written yeah. down the nth degree, which this one's good. This I, is oh, it's, this, it's one of my favorites. I don't know what it says about me though, because I myself have described it here in the stock as an extremely fun nerd insert wish fulfillment episode. Because is this the one? Is this the first Barkley episode, or no. is this one of the later ones? No, this is one of the mid to later ones. This is not the one with the. Um, it's not the one where he gets super horny in the holodeck. I think that might be his first episode. Like That's the, one the first where, time we saw him, I think. I mean, Barkley, if people don't know, is like a, a like relatively competent but incredibly anxious uh, engineer who's lacking in confidence and people skills kind of guy. Um, yeah. To put it mildly, I guess. This he is has the some one, problems. This is the one where an alien probe makes Barkley the smartest human who's ever lived. Yeah, that this one's pretty good. Like he has an IQ of like twelve hundred. If I mean, you know, it was the eighties. Like whatever IQ meant at the time. That's how they describe it. But like, um, he basically solves all the problems with with the, the sheer force of will and well, brain. He becomes the Enterprise computer. Like that's how the episode. The climax of the episode is that he literally <laughs> right. wires himself into the, <laughs> the Enterprise computer and becomes the computer in a way that they cannot extract him from. Um, Superman three problem basically is what you're uh, saying. But on the way there, the episode is about him basically realizing how smart he is now and how confident that makes him. And he becomes like he becomes like a little, you know, like there's that scene where he's doing a, he's doing a scene from. Um, gosh, I can't remember which play it is. Uh, who is he he's playing Cyrano, I think. Opposite Gates McFadden Crusher on in 10. Oh. The episode opens with him fumbling his way in the most embarrassing way possible through his lines in this play he's trying to do. And then yeah. after the after the turn, he does the scene again for an audience and gives this absolute tour de force where Crusher is literally weeping. At the end. It's so it's so over the top and cheesy, but it's just this like Barkley coming into his own moment. That's that's really goofy and fun. He, um, the, uh, Dwight Schultz, the guy who pr- uh, uh, plays him, yeah. is is so like he that character never has like a straight line through a, through an episode. It's no. always like some sort of hard turn midway yes. through. Yes. Go look up that scene. Like, I was, well, you kind of need to see the whole episode cause there's a lot of setup for it, but like that, that scene of him in that play is just kind of amazing. 
I never, well, he, I've never he, seen the A Team. He is, he is. Uh, who is he? Murdoch from the A Team. He plays Murdoch on the A Team. I've never seen that show, yeah. but but yes, he, that's who he is. He he's um like like the thing about the thing about a, Bar- a Barclay episode is you know that some good stuff's going to happen when a, like the Barclay episodes like the holodeck episodes are all up and down like the 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 ones where Picard plays the the noir detective are almost all bad like there's a bunch of like not great episodes that that follow one of the main tropes of the show but the Barclay episodes are always like lore episodes always good mm-hmm. Barclay episodes always good yep. Romulan episodes like 50/50 it seems like yeah um, what about the drumhead? Do you remember the drumhead? Drumhead's great. That's the uh, it's another one of the what you would call a kind of a courtroom drama episodes about kind of military paranoia about spies in the ranks. Yeah, it's like the danger. It's a, it's a the moral the morality play here is that witch hunts are always bad because if you look yeah. hard enough, you can find anybody who's done something wrong. Right. Yes. Or find find something you can find. Everybody has done something wrong. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um. But it, it's it's the one. So it's the inverse of making of the measure of a man where Riker plays the prosecutor, the hard edge prosecutor. And just like he knows that in order to set data free, he has to leave no no stone unturned. And he has to really go after him, because if if he doesn't, then the whole the whole thing will be for nothing. And like the the on on uh, drumhead, he's the defender for this person who's accused of being a, a spy. And he's he's playing like he's playing the completely I guess there's no Jag in Starfleet. No, there's like no ju- judge advocate general or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a really. Like like. Anyway, the upshot is they find somebody who's spying. They're not doing the spying that they thought they're not doing the sabotage that they thought. And and they get into this whole like every suddenly everyone's under suspicion because they bring in, as you said, like the the retired admiral who's the real hard ass for going after after any kind of uh any kind of uh underhanded behavior and the whole thing just rides on on these this this idea that hey you can't like look look like this is an unhealthy way to live it yes, turns out very much i don't know much so yeah um Let's see. I've got a couple more. I'm going to I'm just going to mention the first duty real quick because that also falls oh. into the courtroom drama uh, category to me. This, might, this is the Wesley, the way yeah. the Wesley cover up might be one of my favorite episodes. The more I think about it, this is this is yes, this is Wesley at Starfleet Academy is involved in a training accident and there is a cover up because of some some wrongdoing has taken place and it is very much just an inquiry into the accident. Like that's the whole episode is just a an inquiry, people giving testimony and then Picard figures out what's actually going on and gives like one of the best moralizing speeches in the entire series. But, and that's, and that's my favorite Picard. So it's a, it's a, it's a really good, it's one of the good Wesley episodes for sure. Yes. Um, one of his last I, ones, this was after he was like off the show, uh, full time. They brought him back occasionally. Is this before he ascended? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, Let's see my my last one. I'm going to I'm going to put Data's Day out here. This is this is the one that shows you like a little bit. It's like a day in the life of of Data basically. Yeah, like he's and like kind of recording or or chronicling it as he goes. Like there's, I think, there's I feel like somebody told him he should keep a diary or a journal yeah. or something so he's yes. like and it's like there's a little bit about it's when you meet Spot for the first time but I don't think Spot has a name yet. Um Oh, is this before he, his is this before his poem about Spot? But the po oh, oh okay. to spot. the cringy 
my favorite data trope is data doing something really, really well that just lands flat as a pancake because, oh, because yeah. Can I, can I just read the opening couplet of Ooch's poem is so good. It's so stupid. Felis catus is your taxonomic nomenclature, an endothermic quadruped carnivorous by nature. He's like, it's a really hard meter to do. It's like, you know, it's not bad. Like they, they at least yeah. got that. They got the yes. Uh, um, yeah, that, that's a fun, like one of the rare, like just kind of lighthearted ones. I think there might be some, some conflict towards the end, some threat of the week to the enterprise or something that he deals with, but it's, but it, for the most part, it's like a fairly light thing. If, if, if I remember. Well, it's, I mean, it, it's the thing that I like about it is it shows like he goes, you, he goes through his day and you see him solving like normal, normal space problems. But, um, he he like goes to a, it's like it's also shows you what it's like on the enterprise he goes to uh, commander o'brien chief o'brien's wedding he helps uh sol- solve like pre-wedding jitters for keiko he um they solve a mystery he uses some star trek he uses some sherlock holmes business like stuff he learned playing Sherlock Holmes on the on the on the holodeck. I guess maybe there are good holodeck episodes, ah. but he applies that to solving mis- the mystery of this missing Vulcan ambassador. Uh, yada yada yada. I think I think I think that's a spy episode too. I can't remember. Um, but but yeah, it's uh, it's really fun. And this is, I feel like this is either a prequel or a postquel for Measure of a Man because I think he's recording this stuff for Maddox, but I can't remember. That sounds right. Yeah. Maddox is the guy who originally tried to uh, have him designated as property and Dismantle not in person and re- rebuild. Yeah. yeah. So he could take data apart and study him. But uh, yeah, that, that's inter- That's like an interesting piece of character work for data that he kind of becomes friends with the guy who wanted to take him apart. But um, this oh, is there's a baby born on the Enterprise that day. Like right. Crusher has to go yeah. do some stuff to yeah. deliver a baby. Like it's it's, it's, a just, nice episode. it's 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 like. Hey, this isn't just a spaceship where they go do like spaceship stuff. This is also like a town that a thousand people live in. Right. It's, it's right. a cool. It, it's it's a good reminder that not every single day on the Enterprise has got some insane like scientific or military like threat to humanity taking place or the, like some weird anomaly isn't happening every single day. Some days are just like kind of mundane. Exactly. Um, my last episode, which totally random one to end on uh, first contact, not to be confused with star Trek first contact, the second next generation film. Yes. This is an episode where Riker is embedded with a, uh, a civilization that is about to discover faster than light travel or about to invent it. Okay. Have you seen this one? I, I'm, sh- I remember this. It's the, he gets captured, right? They find him out yes. and then they so, start interrogating him. So they do the whole thing where they surgically alter him to look like the alien species because on Star Trek, every alien species is just humans with something on their forehead. Well, it's because <laughs> they were progenitors that spread, you know, bipedal life throughout our we, portion of the galaxy. Brad, we, we, clearly. I, I intentionally did not put the chase on this list. I'm pretty sure that's the name of the one where they actually explain why every alien in Star Trek looks like a human being. Is that the archaeological race one? Yes. Yes. That there literally was a progenitor race that seeded every planet with life with their own so, genetic material. So as somebody who read a lot of books before that episode aired, that was a well-established concept in the, in the oh, novel I, verse. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. That's not, not my favorite episode, but, uh, it's, but this, 
I like it because all the aliens are standing around yelling about shit and then uh, nobody gets the thing that they want. But nobody, uh, there, nobody it is and, a bad episode. Agreed. Nobody learns the lesson that their progenitors wanted them to learn. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I think uh, I think Picard does. Yes, sure. Picard is the most smug in that episode. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, anyway, yeah. the first contact is really interesting examination of like the politics of this society as they are on the verge of this momentous discovery. Um, and what happens when people who are too afraid of rapid societal change start to assert themselves. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Riker's problems wow. are almost incidental to the actual thematic core of the episode, which is that like they actually, the episode ends with the society deciding to suppress faster than light technology because they are not ready. Oh, yet? No, no, I'm sorry. It's not that it's that they become aware of the wider, the wider gout, like what's, you know, going on in the wider galaxy that, Oh my God, there are thousands of alien species zipping around our planet all the time. And we didn't know it. Um, they decide to suppress that information because the, the whole, the whole standard procedure when a, uh, a species discovers warp drive is that the Federation reveals themselves to them. Right. It says like, Hey, we exist. Like we acknowledge that you are going to now be mixing it up with us. Cause you're going to be flying around out here. And we're going to like, let you know of all this and let you decide if you want to join up with us or what's going to happen here. Uh, but yes, the, uh, let's say the, I guess, more reactionary factions of this society went out in the end and they decide to suppress all information about this because they think their society can't handle it yet. I mean, I think that, that reads given how they reacted to finding out about Riker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's funny. Well, so this is the thing that I like about that lower deck show on Paramount is that, that they, they're on a ship that specializes in second contact, huh, which sounds okay. really stupid, no, I but it. it's like, it sense. it's like, it's like the doing, doing the, the, like the block and tackle problem solving of like, how do we integrate you in the Federation? Right. Like wh- who's going to be your ambassador? You like, know, what kind of weird traditions do you have that we didn't find out about during first contact? Right. Like all the, all the high flirt how to deal with. All the, all the, the highfalutin uh, historic glad handing happened already. The ceremonies are, are done and now we're here to actually implement the changes. Yeah, the paper is signed. Here's the, here's the actual work that has to get happen that has yeah. to happen now. Also, um, a really interesting uh, guest appearance by B.B. Newworth in First Contact. Really? Yes. Oh, I missed I forgot that. Yes. You should go watch this episode if you don't remember it. It's, it's pretty early, right? Uh, I think it's mid. It's like post beard. Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, I think it's mid period. Okay. Uh, yes, it is season four. Oh yeah. Okay. So I would watch that way along like mid middle of last year, probably. So it's a, it's a good uh, I'll definitely go back and, and track yeah. it down again. Yeah. Um, well, Brad, this has been really fun. What a great show. It's a walk down memory lane. Yeah. It's, it's shocking to me watching some of the, even the later season stuff that I hadn't seen before, how, how uh, it still feels pretty relevant and yeah. and it looks surprisingly good in the remastered version, yeah. especially. I think it holds up quite well. I I was I started out on this process because I was like, do I want to watch this with my kid? This seems like a fun thing to watch with my kid. Maybe she'll be into it. Maybe she'll like Star Trek if we do this. And I think I'm going to start. I, I think I'm a little afraid because it's it's like it's pretty horny. Mm, yeah, I guess that's, you know, hey. Also, just to let your kid find their way to the things you like naturally, maybe. I don't know. I mean, look, we don't force. We just watch a couple episodes, and if we like it, like, 
with the Simpsons, we started, we watched like two episodes of the Simpsons. She was like, this is amazing. I want to watch Simpsons. And now we're on, we've watched a lot of Simpsons. Um, but uh, we have also reached the part of the show where we thank our patrons. Yes. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, patrons. Uh, if you would like to join the TechPod community and and uh, support so help support the 100% listener-supported uh, Brad and Will made a TechPod, you can by going to patreon.com slash TechPod, uh, where you will get access to the fabulous TechPod Discord, which is full of wonderful nerds that are talking. I'm sure, I hope, that people are going to post their favorite episodes in the this week's episode thread this week. Yes, they can stop talking about my hair and start talking about Star Trek. I mean, your hair is a noteworthy topic, I oh, think. Oh, boy. I made a mistake. Um, my, uh, I'm just glad that they've stopped looking for old pictures of me in Maximum PC at this point. Okay, so and, uh, I took the bullet yeah. for you. <laughs> Move the yeah, conversation along. I, I posted a photo I should not have. I mean, <laughs> it's fine. It's just a dumb hair photo. It's a good look. You have a lot of hair. You should be proud of it. It's, it's true. a, it's a, it's a righteous mane and it gives you your powers. I, you know what? I feel trapped by it. I feel like it's there's sunk. There's so much sunk cost now that I don't know what to do. Like I can't just cut it off. Can I? It's been, it's been so long. It took so long to grow it. When mine got cut off, I felt re- immediately like there was a weight lifted. Yeah. Literally. I'm sure. thinking about the, f- the fun thing watching Star Trek again is I was now thinking that maybe the next haircut that I should take from Star Trek is just Picard's and just keep yeah. the sides, shave yeah. the top because yeah. it's not, it's less up there every year. So yeah. you have to practice your British accent though. You gotta, you need, you need to sell true. the authority. That's true. Uh, the funny thing was one of the funny things I noticed is that, you know, Picard, uh, uh, Patrick Stewart played Prospero a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And there's an episode where he's like giving data notes about playing Prospero oh, in, yes. a, in a play, which is, yes. Patrick Stewart's classical training as an actor bled into that show constantly. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very like for such a doofy science fiction, nineties science fiction show. It, 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 it surprised me how well it continued to land. Anyway, uh, we're thanking patrons. Uh, If you would like to join the show, you can go to patreon.com slash tech pod. And for as little as two bucks a month, get access to the fabulous tech pod discord. Uh, As always, uh, we're going to this week, thank our executive producer patrons, including Chris DeBona, Andrew Slosky, hashtag bunny crimes, sorry, Octothorpe bunny crimes, Jacob Chapel, Joel Krauska, very fungible Twinkie. Mm. I don't know about this. Mm. David Allen and James Kamek. Thank you also so much. We really appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate everybody who supports the show. Uh, the, the tech pod discord continues to make my life a better place. So I'm stoked that everybody else seems to enjoy it as well. Same on all counts. I guess that's it for us this week, Brad. It is apologies to any or for any like weird production stuff around this. A lot going on here. I'm on a new MacBook. I'm mobile recording setup. Let's say I'm in a different place trying to make this podcast continue to go. So I should have just given you the, um, my, my zoom recorder and you could have plugged in your, taking your XLR mic. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, that's a pretty good idea. Uh, next time. Yeah. Anyway, the microphone is too new. I'm too afraid to travel with. I'm still baby. You need a little Pelican. You need a, a foam case. It actually, it, it comes, I mean, for the price, it better. It comes with a nice hard travel case. I just, Oh, I'm just, I'm just not ready yet. Okay. Okay, fair. Um, that'll do it for us this week. There's a new FossPod on Thursday and another episode of the TechPod next week. We will see you all. Oh, you can find the FossPod at FossPod.content.town, F-O-S-S. Uh, we will see you all next week. 